0: You grow up, you go to college, you get married, and you like go have a kid, and nobody ever tells you like, oh, this is gonna be really hard. I knew that something was off. I didn't know like the depth of it, and I certainly didn't want to, honestly. I don't think that I wanted to know because like I finally got what I wanted in motherhood. I didn't want to because I was afraid though of what that would mean. It was part allowing him to you know manipulate things to, to make me feel better but also like i think it was just fear of if i really go down this rabbit hole my life will be over
1: thank you for listening to the collective church podcast collective is a church for the rest of us which means if you've never been to church walked away from the church or are struggling to find a church to connect with you belong here every thursday over the next year we are sharing a new episode in our your story matters podcast series this is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to YSM. Thank you so much for listening to the Your Story Matters podcast. Last week, we left off with a little bit of a cliffhanger. Um, a little <laughs> Telling a story, uh, which we've done in this podcast, where there's a there's little redemption and there's not much of a turning point. Um, but that's why there's a part two. And so here we are with part two of uh, Chris and Maggie's story. Um, we're joined by Maggie, who's gonna share a little bit about her life in a second, um, but really getting us to the point where uh, God intervenes in such an incredible way that um, that this is a story to be shared. And you know, one of the things we said on episode ten with Chris was you guys have had the opportunity to share your story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Maggie, you have preached yep. at Collective. Um, you've talked about Sammy and you've talked about grief and motherhood, you know, and, and this is kind of the continuation on that for people. And so uh, one thing I would say if you're new to Collective or, um, you're listening, you know, outside of our, our community is to go on YouTube and just scroll until you see Maggie and you should listen to, um, the sermons that she shared with us because, um, there's a realness and a rawness in those messages that... Um, that would go really well with with this podcast and um, but I'm really excited to have you oftentimes Maggie is singing on stage she's hosted for us Um, she's led small groups she's hosted small groups often in a role of serving others Um, but now we're going to put her in the hot seat and um, (laughs) instead of Maggie caring for people we're going to have her share her story so that instead of her giving care it's it's kind of receiving that and and um, we're really lucky to have you guys. Ultimately, the bigger pictures, we're really thankful that uh, you guys are here and willing to share um, your story because it's messy and um, it's very real, but God has done incredible things in your marriage and in your life, and uh, we're excited to, to hear part two of that. And so, uh, Maggie, thank you so much for being here. Um,
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Chris is also here, so he'll be uh, in the background as well until until their story matches up (laughs) um, with where we left off in the last episode. So Maggie, uh, go ahead and kick things off. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Um, What was your childhood like? Um, And then let's talk about what faith was like in your home when you were a kid.
0: Um, I am the fourth of five kids, and um, I was born in D.C., because my dad was finishing up um, med school. We lived outside of there until I was two, and then moved outside of Philly between ages two and seven while my dad was um, doing his residency to become an OBGYN, and then did a year with a practice there um, before moving to what my sister called Calville, Maryland. <laughs> um, and I like as a mom now, I can only imagine that our house was chaos. <laughs> there were five of us from there's a 10-year age span, 10 year age span between my younger brother, Tom, and my older sister, Sarah. So my older sisters were taking care of us a lot. Um, my parents were both full-time working, and and then it was like the little kids. That's what Mike, Tom, and I were called. We were the little kids, and we were, I feel like, always in trouble because my brothers were trying to kill each other. Um, and I was trying to protect my little brother from my brother, Mike, um, who's a wonderful human. <laughs> but <laughs> they just had a lot, of, uh, a lot going on. And... Um, but we had a lot of fun. Like my dad was gone a lot because he was on call a lot, um, and like during his residency, um, he was busy, like being at the hospital a lot. But we would always go and visit him. I'm a quality time person, and I think like I was built that way because of the way that my family is. Like growing up, we weren't allowed to watch TV, even though we did while my parents were at work, because that's what you know kids of the 90s did. That's how we broke the rules. But like whenever my parents were home like it was family time um music was playing all the time my dad plays guitar so he played the beatles all the time which is why i love them but like we'd put on little shows and like it was just always us doing things together we were always um like making things up and playing games and stuff how we just kind of functioned as a family we did a lot of things together my whole family was in upstate new york like next to canada and we were down in Maryland. So we would only go visit every once in a while. So like our nuclear family, like we were it. So we were always together, always doing stuff. You know, my mom would come home from work and make dinner and like nights when my dad was on call, we'd do Kathy's kitchen and she'd make us pancakes because my dad hated breakfast for dinner. Um, I was raised Catholic. So we went to mass every Sunday. Um, My sister, when she was in high school, my sister Sarah would sing. We, like, every once in a while did CCD, which is, like, their religious classes. But it wasn't something, like, that we always did. Um, but I was christened as a baby. I did my first communion in second grade in, like, a big poofy white dress that, like, <laughs> that like flower girls wear. Um, and I never had to do first reconciliation, so, like, I never had to go and tell a priest all of my sins. I was gonna say, I, which don't was even, nice. I don't even know what that is. Should we be so, doing that?
2: No. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs>
0: which, I, like, I appreciated because like I I don't know I just always thought like if I did something wrong then I should tell God myself I don't need a priest to like hear what I've done and my parents you know never forced that on us and I think part of that was because I think it was forced on them being raised Catholic in the 60s and 70s and they didn't want us to feel that same kind of pressure but like I made it all the way up to I got confirmed in 11th grade in high school, I sang in the choir, but on my confirmation day was the only time I ever sang, like on my own in front of the church, and it was petrifying, and I, I'm i sure I sounded like a little mouse, it was terrifying.
1: And you promised to never do it again. <laughs> you know, I
0: never thought I would do it again, to be completely honest, I never thought I'd do it again. It was terrifying. But I like, I loved the music, and so we had choir practice on Thursday nights in high school, and it was like the most peaceful time of my week, and I didn't know why like knowing myself now, music is just such a huge part of how I feel God's presence in my life. Um, But I didn't know that then because we went to church, you know, weekly. And uh, Danielle said in her story, like, I was the kid who got picked up from sleepovers. That was me. (laughs) I got picked up on Sunday mornings and went to mass. But it wasn't like, you know, we're doing this because we know that God loves us and he wants good things for our lives. It was this is our culture like this is what we do we are catholic we go to mass you know like when my parents were really young they had a small group that met at their house um, which was really cool and then i think like as they got older and as we got older and um, you know my dad got really involved in medicine and now like really you know wants scientific answers for things It, it shifted his relationship and his faith but it just wasn't like a thing for us it was we'd have conversations sometimes in the car on the way home like, oh, how did that hit you? Or something like that. Or like if the priest ever told a joke or something like that, we talk about that. But it was never like a, you know, how do you feel like God was speaking to you today? Or what did you learn about, you know, Jesus and who he is or anything like that. So I think it was uh, from what I would say from the people that I know that also were raised Catholic it was a very like typical Catholic upbringing. Um, You went to mass, you know, you did the things, you knew the prayers and all of that. But and we did serve like every once in a while they would have um, the homeless shelter would stay at our church building. And so every once in a while, like we would make dinner for them and bring it. So like the service aspect has always been a part of like who my family is. Yeah. But it wasn't necessarily because we felt called to do it by God. It was just like, this is who we this are. Is we we serve Yeah, we yeah. serve, we take care of people. So that was kind of it for us.
1: So as a part of your life, yeah. regular, consistent,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, one of the tensions that a lot of people have expressed in the podcast who grew up Catholic is like you believe in God, right? but you're not really feeling the presence of God or mm-hmm. you're just kind of unsure of, of what he can do yeah. in your life. Yeah. Like
0: I never doubted if God was real. I always like, and I knew that Jesus like came with God, but I didn't. Know at all, like that he wanted a relationship with me. I didn't read my Bible until I went to college. Like, I got one from my grandparents when I got confirmed, but like, it just wasn't a thing. Like, we didn't read scripture together or like try to dive into any of that. It was just like our tradition and our culture. Like, my grandmother played the organ at her church up in New York, and like, I mean, they're very involved in their church. And she used to be like, Maggie, I go to a Bible study, and it's very sweet. Um, but like, that just wasn't what we had growing up, yeah. and so. Yeah. I, like, I never doubted anything regarding God, but like, I just didn't know that I didn't know that like, he was anything other than like this far off sure. being that like made the earth,
1: Yeah, you know? Yeah. So childhood wise, you know, pretty normal.
0: Yeah. We didn't have any like crazy major traumas as sure. children, you know, like life is is tough and yep. parents do their best to get through all of that. Like we were very loved. It was never a question of like whether my mom and dad loved us or, you know, we never worried about food on the table. I mean, we definitely, when we were really young, you know, money was very tight. Um, But I mean, my parents put all of us through college. My brothers and I went to private school for several years. Um, Like they they definitely tried to do everything that they could that they thought was like what was best for us in that time.
1: Yeah, and I I think one thing that's really important too. And, and you know, as we keep going through this podcast and get, you know, eventually episode 30 and 40 or whatever, one thing that people will realize is that, you know, we have a story um, and good and bad things happen. Um, but it's not all because your life started poorly. You know, right. there's this understanding in life and, and even in the church sometimes where it's like you want to justify why highs and lows exist. And the reality is they exist, right? right? It doesn't have to come from something tragic in your childhood or something tragic in your adulthood. You can grow up in a home with loving parents, Mm -hmm. with siblings that you get along with and that you're close to, um, and life still can rock you. And, you know, you both had similar childhoods, parents who love you, Mm -hmm. you know, faith as a a theme, you know, growing up. But what I want people to understand as we continue to move through this is that doesn't exempt you from the lows, right? Because yeah. we, we wish it would. And, and what I don't want people to think is, you know, I grew up without faith and therefore I went through these things. It's like, no, no, no. Like right. Your parents could do the right thing and life is still life, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, that's, that's what you guys eventually come face to face with. And so, you know, kind of matching up with, with Chris's story, you guys yeah. meet.
0: Yeah. I was 11. <laughs> we, <laughs> were in a play, we were in a play together yeah, in we, middle school. met a long time ago. So, yeah, we were in The King and I. We I were had a both crush kids. on her. She thought I was weird. I thought he was very weird. So, he was a middle school boy. Yeah, so, um, and then, because we went to two different schools, so then he actually ended up meeting my brother his freshman year, my brother's sophomore year, and then my freshman year of high school, I was waiting after play practice and overwalks Chris and his brother David and they were like, hey, do you remember us? And I was like, yeah, hi. <laughs> and then um, I joined Love the- Love at first
2: sight. Yeah, yes. not at all, not at all.
0: <laughs> and then we were in a play together that spring. We were in the Wizard of Oz and we ran track. I did theater like all throughout high school. So sp- spring and fall, um, I was either in the play or the musical, but I also ran cross country and track. And then you only did the shows in the spring because of the cross country season. Mm-hmm. Um, but like so, we started spending a lot of time together at play practice, and running and all of that. And he had a girlfriend, so I was like, well, oh well. But then they broke up, and then he asked me out on a date.
2: She swooped in. I
0: did, not at all. I feel like that's not. <laughs> not way. at all how it went down. Not at all how it went down. But um, yeah, I mean, I had a crush on him. So when he asked me to be his girlfriend, I was like, of course I will. Like yeah. well, you didn't really even have to ask of course I'll be your girlfriend
1: and how old were you guys at the time I was
0: 16 I was 17 okay
1: so you guys start dating babies <laughs> um, yeah yeah well and one thing I love about your guys' story is a lot of times people would just go well we were high school sweethearts and everyone goes oh like wow, no. how great is that <laughs> and, the, and the thing is like that's the BS Yes. Hallmark version of things. Sure. Yeah. You know, like the real life version of things is, yeah, we met in high school and here's everything we went through to get mm-hmm. to where we are now. Sure. And.
0: Um. Sometimes I question 16 year old Maggie's judgment. Sure. <laughs> I'm so glad we're here, but also, oh my.
1: I mean, we should always question teenagers judgment, especially sure. when it's love related. You Yeah. Know?
0: Well, like my, so my parents are high school sweethearts. Like they started dating when they were around 16. So I know like I romanticized it all thinking like, oh, Mom and dad, you know, they fell in love when they were young and look at them. And I mean, my parents work, you know, they work really hard at at their marriage and they love each other a lot. And so it was something that, like, I idolized. Like, so when my dad would be on call when I was in high school, my mom would make dinner and we would take it to the hospital so that we could have dinner together. And that was something that, like, back then I'd be like, oh, why can't I just, like, be at home and do my homework and then go on instant messenger and talk to my boyfriend and my friends. But, like, over time, I really appreciated it because I knew my mom would rather all of us be together in a hospital room or my dad's office having dinner than not being with him. And so that was something that, like, I wanted for myself was to be in a relationship where, like, I was so in love with that person that even when they were away, like, I wanted all of us to be together. And so at 16 years old, of course, you're like, oh, yes. You know, but, you know, I mean, I loved you. I did. Well, Uh, so... You know... We were kids
1: yeah and you have no idea like what's going on in his life
0: no you no, know no.
1: you know so you guys start dating at this at this time chris is involved majorly at a non-catholic church yes
0: um, as my grandmother said that's your privilege <laughs> 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 she asked him if he was an altar boy at christmas and i was like oh no grandma he doesn't go to our church and she said that's his privilege
1: Oh my gosh. So eventually, you guys are dating. Mm -hmm. Things are going well. Your faith starts to change a little bit. So. Yeah, he
0: was like, I don't think we believe the same things. And I was really indignant. And I was like, Excuse you. Yes, we do. Like, I believe in Jesus and the resurrection and, you know, all the things that I could like list off that I learned at church. But we definitely didn't believe the same things. Like, it was just very, it was very real for him in comparison. Like, his faith was very real for him, and mine was very, still very passive, like just going and listening on a Sunday morning but not doing anything for myself.
2: Well, then you came to church with me for the first time.
0: Yeah, you asked me a lot, and then I only went one time in high school she for his came. senior night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he was playing. He was leading worship that night, and I was like, all right, fine, I'll go. And <laughs> so he was singing, and I'd seen him play before, but it was very different, and I was like what is happening here? Like, he, he's very different right now. And so, like, that sent a lot of thoughts into motion down the road. But we were there, and, you know, everybody's hands are raised, and so you know, like this good little Catholic girl is like, what is happening here? Like, this is not how you sing to Jesus. And they were singing this song called Sing to the King, and there's the line of Satan is vanquished. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> what song talks about Satan? <laughs> like, this is not a thing. This is weird. I don't like it. This is bizarre. And I left that night being like, this is like the weirdest thing. This is why I never came, because this is weird. But I also, in the back of my mind, kept thinking like, why is Chris different? I've seen him sing before, like being all cool and whatever, playing in front of people. But it was just like, there's something different about him when he's singing about Jesus. And I don't know what that is. And it took me like a little while to figure it out. But I was like, this is something that I want in my life. Like, why is that something that's so powerful for you? And so then... Like leading into going away, going to school, you know, we had a lot of really hard conversations because he went off to Milligan and like started with a business major, but ended up switching over to youth ministry. And he was like, you know, I don't think that we're on the same page, and you know, lots of fighting about, like, you know, feeling self-righteous and be like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I just, you know, it kind of came down to like, you either have to figure this out or, you know, like if I go into ministry, I need a wife who loves God and loves Jesus and that's not going to be you then like I need to know Um, so at first you know I like wanted to prove him wrong but then you know I like actually went to a Bible study my freshman year and um, we started reading John's letters and I loved it and you know I was reading my Catholic Bible but it was the first time in my life that like God became very real to me and I remember the first time that I went to service with him at the church that he grew up at and the pastor had just come back from Africa Like he was just talking about like, you know, Jesus serving people and loving on people. And I was like, oh, I did not know that this is what like Jesus was all about. This is not what I grew up with. And so it just kind of set me on this path of like trying to figure out who is God to me and who is Jesus to me. And is this something that like I can invest in or, or not? And thankfully it was, I mean, I feel like, you know, just kind of, I started being in a different Bible study like sophomore year and um, the, reading a lot. I had a lot of questions. I'd like read things and be mad and be like, well, Chris can answer this because he's studying the Bible for college. Yeah. And I'd call him and be like, why did Jesus say this? And he'd be like, you need to explain or whatever. And, but I just saw Jesus as this very real loving and nurturing person that like I just didn't know him to be previously.
2: Yeah. One, one thing I'm super thankful for, though, is that your faith – like, while, yes, we talked a lot, like, your faith grew, not because of me. Right. Like, yeah. it grew... Yeah, like you weren't you, there. You were <laughs> on your, yeah, I wasn't there. You were on your own journey with your own friends mm-hmm. at college and figured it out Yeah, on, you know, it was without really, me.
0: It was really cool because a lot of my friends had come from very similar backgrounds. And so we were all like, what is this for us? And who who do we, like, know God to be? So it was like a lot of really like deep conversations about you know we would read through different books of the bible and just talk about like what we saw in there and how we felt like it could apply to our lives and you know really similar to the ways that we talk about things at our collectives um but i had just never done that before and um it was like this very profound feeling that i had been missing something for a really long time and so i made the decision to get baptized and um That wasn't a great experience within my family. I think there was a a lot of tension. Um, There was a lot of tension. I think, one, because I was the first one to, like, really make a decision that was different from, like, either being Catholic or just, like, kind of not falling away, but, like, just choosing to, like, live life without that part of our lives. But also, you know, I mean, my parents had a lot of, like, nerves about whether I would become one of those stereotypical Christians that, you know, said things in the name of God, but was really hurtful to people. And, you know, that was a lot of their, not like their personal experience, but what they saw in the, in the uh, Christian church. And so I think there was just a lot of fear that I was making a decision because of my boyfriend and not for myself Um, to the point that like my parents were like, I don't think you should do this. And I didn't have, a really good answer other than like, I know that I need to do this. It's just like, my dad was like, why? And I was like, I don't know. I just like, there's this feeling and I wish that I had been able to articulate things better, Sure. but I was 20 years old and I just, I just knew, like, I knew that God wanted this as a part of my life, that he wanted me to decide like that he was going to be it. And it's really hard at, you know, being so young and like, it had only been a year and a half probably since I had really started reading the Bible that I felt like, you know, I needed to be baptized, yeah. and so I did it, yeah. and it was great. Yeah. Chris baptized me, which was cool, and, like, that all my awesome. friends from school came that were, like, in my Bible study. Like, that was really awesome, but it was definitely a really hard thing within my family for a while just because yeah. of this uncertainty of, like, are you doing these things because you really believe them, or are you doing them because your boyfriend is yeah. pushing this on you, and, like, they knew he was going to school for youth ministry, so I, there was just a lot of <clears throat> trepidation about it,
1: which which I would say is one of the ironies in the Catholic Church with parents who are like, "Are you doing this for the right reason?" When they made all the decisions for <laughs> you growing up, like that, and that's that's yeah. that tension yes. that you feel is like, yeah. as you go to make these decisions on your own, and you have people in your life who love you who are asking good questions, right? It's a little bit tension. It's like full attention because you're like, wait a second, like. I'm actually making this decision for myself, right. versus in the past when it was like you, you made brought it me, here. For me. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's not because you know I know your parents, and you know I love your parents dearly. It's not because they didn't want you to have faith; sure. they just wanted to make sure you were making a decision that you yeah. knew you were making. Yes, you know? absolutely. And that is yeah. such a hard thing to communicate. Yeah. It's such a hard thing, you know, in your kids to ask them in a way that empowers them to make the decision, but also is a hard enough question to where it's not just like a, well, are you doing the right, you know, that yes, kind of thing. And so, yeah. you know, your parents asked you the hard questions and if you balked at it, you shouldn't have been doing it anyways, you know, and, and what's good with that is, is, you know, now knowing your family, they love the faith you guys have. They love this church. Yeah. You know, I think this church weirds them out. Sometimes your dad <laughs> and I have great conversations about like, can you do that? It's like, yeah, yeah, of course we can do mashed potatoes on a Sunday morning. That's not, I guess, what do you mean? You know, of course we can give McDonald's to people who are maybe kind of hungover on January 1st (laughs) because you want them to sober up so they can hear a message. We
0: can, and we will.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, you you get baptized, you guys are dating. You're at the University of Maryland. Chris is at Milligan. Mm -hmm. Um, At this point, do you know anything's going on with his battle and really, we'll just call it what it is, which we talked about in the last episode, his addiction Mm -hmm. with like pornography or like sex, like some of that seeking out that satisfaction in other places.
0: I mean, not really. When we were apart for three quarters of the year, I like, there were a couple of times when like we would be on his computer and I'd like see something, but then I would just be like, no, you know, that's not, what it, what I think it is or you know I I'm in between two brothers so like and we weren't raised you know in in any sort of fashion regarding you know sex or anything other than like don't have sex till you get married if you do use protection um so it wasn't like it was like a big conversation within my family and you know many times our <laughs> computer had to be restarted because you know things would viruses would get on our home computer so to me I didn't necessarily, if I knew anything, I didn't necessarily see it as a red flag because in my mind it was kind of like a, this is what dudes do. And, you know, my, that's what my brothers do. So, like, what, you know, yeah. what are you going to do as long as it's not something that, like, he ever asks to be a part of our relationship? I certainly didn't know that it was as big of an issue. And I certainly didn't, like, think of it in that way because, I mean, I was a pretty naive Person, I think
1: well and we talked about this in the last episode as well like this isn't something we talk about a lot
0: Definitely wasn't when, talked about right. when we were all growing up. I feel like maybe now but certainly certainly right. not for our generation
1: right. and it's crazy because like the science exists mm-hmm. the psychology exists, you know, even the the human wellness aspect of mm-hmm. pornography is well-known mm-hmm. and um, it's something that statistics show that children are introduced to at a very young age. And so it's not that Chris is an anomaly. Right. It's just that, you know, one of the things we talked about the last episode is you don't know where this is going to end up. Yeah. And right. every guy or girl who gets introduced to pornography in their young kid slash teenage years, it will impact their life. Mm-hmm. It, it's a hundred percent. It will impact their life. It will impact their marriage. It will impact their self-worth all of those things mm-hmm. but we're you know we don't talk about it right. you know it's and it's part of the reason why we do this podcast it's part of the reason why I talk about um, pornography because uh, it is this like unspoken thing that leads to dev. it always leads to devil yeah. deb- it never doesn't right. um, so it makes sense that you're not sitting there as a 20 year old going hey I wonder if this is a part of his his life right. in our, in our yeah. relationship well and I
0: like never seen it day in my life and so to me I, like it just wasn't ever a thought in my mind because it wasn't something that ever consumed my mind space. So
1: So you guys are dating, you get baptized, Chris is at Milligan, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's tough. I remember at Milligan being around Chris post phone calls, Mm -hmm. whether it was Jesus phone calls or hard conversations, this relationship, what the heck is going on phone calls. We joke all the time as friends that you came to visit Milligan, which I'm not sure actually happened, because Ray and I never met you. Uh, we used to joke that Chris had an imaginary girlfriend named Maggie. Uh-huh. He had a picture on his desk, and we're like, you found it online. <laughs> um, you know, but you guys had a pretty private relationship. You know, we we kind of find out later that it was private for a reason. Yeah. You know, you guys were kind of taking your parents' method of sex before marriage. It wasn't uh don't. It was...
0: Be Don't, safe. Yeah. Don't get pregnant. Yeah.
1: And so you guys are, you know, and we, we talk about this, right? Like when it happens, you you are bonded mm-hmm. and God created that way. Yep. And it's part of probably part of the reason why, although the distance was difficult, you guys mm-hmm. kept together oh, okay. because there was yeah. a lot of emotion and a lot of love. Yeah. Um, but you guys, uh, more so than you knew, yeah. had just all these things going on. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it definitely caused me to be way more emotionally invested. Like when things were difficult and I'd be like, I think we should just break up. Like this is too hard. You're too far away, whatever. I know for me, like because we had been intimate, like I just didn't, I didn't want to go through that with somebody else. Like I don't think I could have put words to it back then, but like it's the most vulnerable you can be with anybody. And I didn't want to experience that vulnerability with anybody else. Yeah.
1: Even as a 20 year old, you know, and that's again, that's the God putting that in us. And we might not exactly know what it is or where it comes from, but you know, God designed us a very specific way. And you know, because that you're feeling high emotions and and all that. So eventually, again, and and dating wasn't smooth. No, Um, you know, you guys were six, seven hours apart, but Chris graduates. He gets a job offer in Florida, and you guys get engaged.
0: Oh, <laughs> that was quite a year. Um, so he was only really looking at jobs in Maryland, and I was studying Spanish in college, and I was like, I don't really know where I'm going to use Spanish here. And then a guy f- from school told him about this job down in Florida, and I was like, well, um, I think we should go there because I think it's a better opportunity for me to use like, the skills that I'm learning Um, But also, I was excited because I thought, like, it would be an opportunity for us to start our life together, together, and not, like, in our parents' backyard or, um, like, really, like, I was afraid that we were going to have a lot of pressures from either side of our family and that everybody would just, like, be watching our every move. And so I wanted the opportunity to just, like, be us on our own. My parents kind of did the same thing, so I just feel like I probably was trying to copy my parents.
2: Because sure. they
0: got married and moved really far away from their parents too. but I I was excited about it because but I I didn't really know what it was going to actually be like. I think I you know I was like still on this high of you know I'd just been baptized and still learning about who Jesus was and like learning about his heart for people. And you know so he had this opportunity. I was like, this is gonna be great. We're gonna you know go and conquer the world together. <laughs> <laughs> um, And so like the year leading up to it, I mean, you know, planning a wedding, finishing your senior year of college, like it's a lot. Um, And I went down to visit a couple of times and everybody was really welcoming to me. And like, you know, the kids were really excited that I was coming down, but I don't think, I don't think I was at all prepared for what ministry was going to look like Mm -hmm. as a a minister's wife, you know, I'm newly, like I had just started going to a non-denominational church. Like I hadn't been to Catholic church like on my own for a long time. And I didn't know what people would expect of me. Um, I didn't, I don't think I realized that like all eyes were going to be on me. Um, I was not prepared for that. And I, I mean, I tried really hard. I worked really hard to be what everyone thought I should be to the point where like, honestly, I feel like my love for Jesus and who I know him to be shifted because it was, it was quite legalistic and so like it mm. shifted from like the version of not virgin but like the side of Jesus who sits with sinners and <laughs> and loves them for who they are like still obviously wants better things for them but like does it in such a way that was just very different from from then like what we embarked upon and you know i'm 22 years old and all of a sudden, like I'm in charge of I don't know how many teenage girls' yeah. spiritual walks, and I, <laughs> I was not equipped. Yeah. I was I was not equipped, and um, you know, I like I sought out some wisdom from people that like maybe I probably shouldn't have. Um, but like after a year or two, I was burnt out. Yeah. Um, I literally was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Yeah. And so I asked the previous youth minister's wife. Um, for help I was like I need somebody who can help me navigate this because we had no boundaries we were like basically at the kids beck and call which is totally (laughs) unhealthy but like you know I had friends at work that I taught with um, but like none of them you know followed Jesus so it was like a work friendship but we didn't really the first few years especially like I didn't spend a whole lot of time with them outside of work and then we had a couple of friends but like one couple they were doing ministry at another church like your your life is you never see each other because it's chaos so we were just isolated i felt entirely alone and with all this pressure of like am i presenting the version of maggie that everyone's hoping to see so that they can trust what i'm teaching their kids or don't i don't know i just felt like i couldn't do anything wrong so it was really stressful, and I was really tired. I loved, like, the good things were great. Yeah. Like, watching kids come to faith, and, mm-hmm. you know, like, we started taking youth tri- trips down to Haiti. Like, I loved that, and I yeah. lived for that. But the in-between, I was exhausted yeah. and very alone.
1: Did you guys ever talk about the fact that both of you felt this pressure?
0: What?
2: No.
1: What's happening right we now? do is, now. Right, yeah. <laughs> But, like, at the same time, like, you guys were both completely facaded up in what you, what, you know, for Chris, it was what people back at home thought, like, he should be youth minister and the church should be growing, right? Like, and I know you felt the pressure of, like, you need to be great at this because you came from a great. Because you came from greatness. Yeah. Yeah. And then Maggie, it's the pressure of, hey, you're down here. And so you have to be equally as great and skilled and capable as Chris, which we've talked about. And and one of the ways that you love my family is you don't put that same pressure on on my wife because that is not biblical. It's not anything. It's just this dumb church culture that like staff and spouses have to be above everybody else. And in order to be above people, what do you do? You lie. Right. Right? Because like we're not above people. Like I've got my own stuff. You know, as Chris talks about a struggle of pornography through high school and college, like that's my life. You know, introduce sex at a really young age from people in my own life, older brother, you know, right. you know, and all that stuff. But all of a sudden you get into ministry and it's like, we got to be here. You know, I got to be above. And so here you guys are in separate ways, but doing the same thing. Meanwhile, Chris is struggling with addiction. Mm-hmm. You're struggling with burnout mm-hmm. and, and just the way life works. Yeah. Things did not get easier. Right. Because eventually you guys find out that you're pregnant. With Sammy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I knew that like that was the next phase we'd been married for multiple years and like I did not want kids when we first got married. It's was like, we have to like be ourselves or whatever. And then I think I probably thought that like having a baby would like just be this joyful, perfect thing. Cause I don't know. That's what you make up in your head. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we find out that we're pregnant and we're so excited. And then I get super sick <laughs> because pregnancy is the worst. And then literally like the week that we were gonna tell like the people at large, you know, like we had told our families and we had told you guys and we go to our appointment and see this cute little waving baby, but like the whole time have no idea that the sonogram tech is measuring a large mass on the back of his neck. And instead of um, like this big celebratory, we're having a baby thing, we're asking people to pray for our child. I don't, I mean, like, I remember the next week being like in my, the small group that I led for the girls and like, we didn't do anything and they just prayed for us, which like everybody was doing. It was terrifying because we honestly thought that we would lose him. You know, I was like 12, 13 weeks pregnant, I think. And, um, just like, didn't know what was going to happen. And I feel like at that point, like people were really kind and, um, and loving, like, I mean, like. Everybody's gonna be nice to you when you're yeah. Yeah. when you're going through something like that and um, I was really grateful Particularly like for my dad because you know He had knowledge and he would be very calming for us on really hard days and
2: uh, I Remember when we found out about this cystic hygroma and he goes well They're not our friend. Yeah Yeah,
0: yeah. and I think like in that moment um, I mean, it was terrifying, but we also, like, we were a couple weeks after that, and, like, his high had shrunk a little bit, and we were still on the fence, like, are we going to find out, or are we not going to find out? Because I did not want to know what our first child was, gender-wise. Like, I wanted it to be a surprise. And then I just, like, felt God was saying, like, you need to know, because you need to, like, you need to pray for this child. And we had already decided if it was a boy, his name was going to be Samuel, And I was like, I just feel like God's telling me I need to know because his name literally means like this is what I asked for and God gave it to me. Um, And so we found out that we were having a boy and I was just like, well, okay, God, like you're telling me that I need to pray for him. And I feel like at that point, um, I don't know, I just felt like I knew what God was doing and I felt like I was listening really well (laughs) and... Um, we had great support like you guys back up in maryland and our families and we did have like some decent support system there throughout all of it um but it was just you know doctor's appointments every other week scans every other week so we got to be real familiar with sammy's face but it was a lot it was a it was exhausting you know once we found out he had down syndrome and then about his um what would be a birth defect in his esophagus like We knew what, like, I felt like we knew what we were getting into, and we knew that, like, we were going to have a baby in the NICU, and it would be hard, but it would be okay. Like, I just, I never felt anything other than, like, God is going to, like, create this miracle in this child, and, um, like, we had already made the decision we were going to move back to Maryland and help launch a church with you guys, and, um, and I was just like, this is it. Like, we're going to have this incredible child, and he's going to, like, change the world, and... I'll stay home and watch the kids and you guys will all work and it'll be great. And um, and then he was born and he was amazing. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I just like was never, I was never worried. He'd like go back in surgery and I like worried about fifth graders being mean to kids with Down syndrome because I teach fifth grade and fifth graders are mean. Like I just felt this this piece and like he was so loved and thing, like things were rocky for sure at different points but like I just never, I felt like I knew exactly what God was doing. And then he had his second surgery and it went well and I like got to feed him like real milk on my first Mother's Day and he was gone two days later. I just did not understand what was happening. I didn't know, like, why. You know, it's like, why? We'll never know why. (laughs) But I just felt like I had been wrong this whole time, like that I didn't actually know what God was doing. And I was really mad. (laughs) I was really angry for, like, a long time. You know, I didn't doubt that God was there. I didn't feel like he had left us. But I was really mad that he would take away such a perfect Baby, yeah. who I just remember being like, you know, we prayed for this child and you healed him, and, you know, he had this surgery, and now, like, pneumonia, pneumonia is going to be it. Yeah. And it was.
2: All the things that this kid could do and oh, I know. things, yeah, yeah, of like, why are we. Yeah, I just really thought, like, this. his life
0: was going to change the world. And I, I mean, I know now, like, it really has, but I wanted to watch it happen with him here.
1: Yeah, I think one thing that we all felt, because at this point you guys had announced that you were leaving, you were going to take a leap of faith, Chris was going to raise a salary, you're going to come and be the the main supports of, of Ray and I as we planted this church, I think we all felt like because we were doing this thing for God, that everything else would then work out. Yeah. 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 Um, Which, looking back, one, it doesn't work that way. But two, nothing went right. Nothing we prayed for, (laughs) nothing (laughs) we asked for over the next year and a half. Yeah. You know, know, for those of you who are listening who have been through things like that, I would love to say that everything happens for a reason, but it doesn't work that way. But what I can say, and this is more of an aside than anything else, is God can take the hurtful and painful things in our life and turn them into something good. And, you know, Sammy is such a big part of this church and in the way we care for kids. You know, Mother's Day is Mother's Day at Collective because of Sammy and because of Autumn. Um, because when you are a pastor at a church and you start to lead to Mother's Day and you read, it's the second highest attended holiday <laughs> of the year in the church. It's Easter one, Mother's Day two, Christmas three. And it's
2: crazy. you're like, man,
1: that's nuts. Because I've got friends here where today is the worst day of their life over and over and over again.
0: Yeah.
1: And collective isn't collective without Sammy. Mm-hmm. And I am very thankful for what he taught me because I wouldn't. I wouldn't have known any of this and I would, it would have collective would have been just another church that like gives flowers to all the women. And, like what a happy day. And like without acknowledging grief and you know, you stay around collective long enough. If you're around during your mother's day, we hand out flowers and that's because of Sammy. That's what you guys started in your family. And, um, so now we hand out Sammy's flowers every mother's day and, um, people for five years have been planting these flowers and I don't know if you guys have, have seen it but I, I get text messages every year from people going they're still growing yeah. they're still growing and yeah. um, but also it created a way for us as a church to talk about mm-hmm. the loss of children because that's something that it's like one out of every three or four people experience and nobody talks about it
0: no, no you go into life thinking like you know you, you grow up you go to college you get married and you're like oh, have a kid, and Nobody ever tells you, like, oh, this is going to be really hard. Yeah, well,
2: who knew that, like, really child, hard. child loss or infertility, like, you don't hear about that stuff as you're we growing up not. to, like, prepare to get married or any of those things. No. It's like, oh, you're probably, chances are you're yes. going to experience this. It's more normal than More normal than, than yeah. that, to have yes. some sort of struggle. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: But we're not told that. No. You know, in the church, we kind of ignore that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, kids are a blessing, but just like any good thing, there's also hard times mm-hmm. and hard, you know, hard experiences. And so, you know, here you guys are. Maggie, you're burnout. Mm-hmm. Now you're struggling with God,
2: mm-hmm. which is
1: completely reasonable, right? Anybody in that scenario or, or listening to this is going to say, yeah, I would too. You know, Chris, you're not grieving, really. You're trying to be stable, mm-hmm. trying to keep that facade of like, I am strong. I'm a leader of people who grieve, which would be your wife Meanwhile, you guys aren't really talking about either of the pressures you feel yeah. and the pain you feel Right. and what's going on in your heart and soul. And Chris, what's going on in your heart and soul. But my guess is this felt like rock bottom.
0: Yeah, I mean, literally the worst day of my life.
1: Then you guys move here. A year later, the text messages come out. Chris and I get back from Florida, drop them off at your house, tell you, come on over, we got to talk. Um, for people who... Have listened to the first one and are listening to this now. Um, I do think it's important to point out, like this is in the the season of year that is in between Sammy's birth and death. Yeah. So, like, n- not to downplay the seriousness of the conversation, but like when we sat down in our house, like emotions are just all over the place. Oh, yeah. It's like everything because I think at that point it had been two years. Yeah, because Elisa it just was turned Lisa's two. Second, second, second birthday, birthday. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I was you know,
1: so we talk, we set all these boundaries. Mm-hmm. At this point, though, what do you know? Chris has shared a pornography addiction, emotional mm-hmm. affairs, physical affairs. Mm-hmm. What are you clued into? What do you know? What are you feeling in your marriage? Are you even feeling anything? Or are you still just in the the grief?
0: Um, I mean, that was a really challenging time. You know, J- Jude was... Uh, eight months old so like you know now I'm experiencing motherhood with like a lot of emotions of wanting to honor Sammy but also like cherish every moment that I have with this precious little boy but yeah I mean so at that point like I knew I knew of like an instance like a moment of weakness when he was like really low in Florida so I knew of like one thing and I had known like Here and there, I'd like find something like, "Hey, thought you weren't looking at this." I'm like, "Oh no, no, you know, no, that was like a slip or, um, you know, I'm really sorry. You know, it's not, it's not like an issue. Like it, every once in a while, like it pops up or whatever kind of a thing. And, you know, at that point, like I, I knew that something was off. I didn't know like the depth of it, and I certainly didn't want to. Honestly, I don't think that I wanted to know because, like, I finally got what I wanted in motherhood of being able to hold a child, like, not with tubes and take him home from the hospital and all of the things. And I think at that point, like, as things really started to unravel, I certainly didn't know, like, the depth of things, but I think I also, I didn't want to because I was afraid of what that would mean. I think it was part, like allowing him to, you know, manipulate things to, to make me feel better, but also, like, I think it was just fear of, if I really go down this rabbit hole, my life will be over, yeah. my marriage yeah. will be over.
2: There was so much fear for me of losing everything, not just my marriage, yeah, but, like, everything else that came with mm-hmm. that, and so, like, I mean, I remember that night, even before we got over to your, to y'all's place, I mean, I again was manipulating everything but i you know it was mags we have to be careful about what we talk about because otherwise my job we'll lose everything yeah and then what will we have yeah Yeah. nothing and so i like 100 percent manipulated her into like going along with me on this Mm -hmm. dangerous ride essentially
0: um yeah Not that day, but like it was shortly after. I was like, you're literally asking me to lie to our best friends. You know that, right? Like, you know, this will be over. Like, we're done here if this. And he was like, it'll be fine. You don't need to mention this other thing. And I was like, I'm just saying if like this ruins our life and our friendship, we're like, we're done here.
1: Yeah. And on the heels of loss, which it's not the same loss, but after experiencing loss, being faced with more loss mm-hmm. whether that's chris Terrifying. losing a marriage and and you know maggie and jude saying we're done like yeah. you know you guys kind of went into this phase of just white knuckling the crap out of life <laughs> yeah. just trying to squeeze in control as much yes. as you can mm-hmm. but it was you know 6 months later 7 months later it yeah. it all falls apart
0: oh yeah and so, you know it's going to like there's no not yeah. <laughs> There's no not falling apart. The darkness comes to light. Like, it's just, that is the reality of it.
1: Yeah. So, Ray and I get anonymous message saying, hey, here's all these things you don't know, and mm-hmm. there's, like, the full range of emotions from us. You know, admittedly, like, at that point, we're thinking about collective more than we're thinking about you guys. You know, you guys, we give you a phone call. I called... Some people from your past and mm-hmm. they essentially told me hey this is your problem now yeah. um, and by essentially i mean word for word the lead pastor in florida said we knew something was up this is your problem now which is the reason why i hate church so much and hate <laughs> pastors so much and because if people knew something was going on and didn't do anything about it like where's the responsibility in that but you know it leads to a conversation in our house
0: Ooh, i was so angry there were things that like i didn't know that were a part of that conversation. There were some things that I did know, and then I was like, and this is what I was talking about. Like, you asked me to not say anything, and, and here we are, now it's all out on the table. And I mean, our life literally fell apart that night. You know, like, we knew that his role here at, like, on staff was done. A couple days later, I get another message of, hey, I think there's more stuff that you don't know. And I walk in the door, and I threw my rings at him, and he said, I think I should leave. I was like, I think you should. He packed a bag and went to his mom and dad's.
1: So I know that we are still in the thick of it and redemption and healing in your story are right around the corner, but we are actually going to end part two right here. I know, I know, another cliffhanger. I'm sorry to leave you all hanging another week, but I promise you that you won't want to miss part three of Chris and Maggie's story that will come next Thursday. So stay tuned.